Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which is a Penguin Random House publication that came out last summer. I also write for a bunch of websites, magazines, um, newspapers, and nonprofit organizations, mostly about women's health and maternal health issues and the issues that women face around the world. Um, when I first started this podcast back in November, I gave it a longer title. I called it Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and the Power to Change the World, because that's what I think powerful mothers and fathers do. They change the world one child, one generation, one family, one community at a time. And they do it with one kind action, one moment of extra patience, one day at a time. They create that power in the tiniest of moments, like when they put on their baby's socks oh so gently and just the way they like it, or in the big moments when they set firm boundaries and dole out you know, appropriate discipline. Really though, it's mostly the day-to-day stuff that teaches our kids how to be people in the world. And we can teach them all kinds of things. We can teach them all kinds of lessons. Among those options are this. We can teach them to be kind, decent, motivated, relaxed, ambitious, fun, silly, playful, thoughtful, serious, compassionate, all the truly important stuff. And we can teach them that through our own daily actions. At the end of the day, when our children are grown and living their own lives, it'll be all those peanut butter sandwiches they made together and dog walks you did together that made the biggest impact. And that's what parents do, right? It's those little things that are so powerful. Eh, had to shorten the name of the podcast, though, to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting because it was too much of a mouthful. Anyways, so this week, it's continuing to be tough in the world. And we're looking at some really, really interesting things going on in current events, especially revolving around the um, Republican National Convention. I think it's fascinating. We are at the most interesting times in history, and we're watching it happen right now. Um, You know, we're still continuing to see a lot of current events that are revolving around tragedies. And this week, I've got one particular young woman in mind who has experienced a big, big tragedy. Um, And I'd like to ask all of you who are listening to join me in sending kind thoughts and healing vibes to a young mother in Seattle who has um, experienced a stillborn this week and her baby was full term. Like most mothers in this situation, she never saw it coming and the floor has dropped out of her world. I've been in the room when this has happened on many occasions during my years as a labor nurse. Um, I was the nurse taking care of the mother who was delivering the stillborn baby and the level of devastation I can't fully articulate. Um, I wrote about it in the book, and I'm going to read you bits and pieces of, of that to you now. The section is called When a Baby Dies. It's rare, but it happens, and it's devastating. It feels like there's something wrong with the natural order of the universe when the hope of a gorgeous baby is destroyed by death. Few parents recover from this easily, if they ever fully recover at all. All of them are left with an unanswerable question. Why? In about one-third of cases, the cause for stillbirth can't be determined, 
but the majority of deaths are related to placental problems, intrauterine growth restriction, infections, and birth defects. Very, very rarely, it's caused by umbilical cord accidents, trauma, maternal diabetes, high blood pressure, and postate pregnancy. It's hard to know what to write about the devastating experience of losing a baby. In some ways, it's like any death, and the normal patterns of grief will follow. But it's unlike any other death because it occurs at the beginning of life, when by rights the child and parents should have decades of life together in front of them. How does one grieve a baby whose life was cut so short that it barely had time to live? In the case of stillbirth, parents have to say goodbye before they ever say hello. It's unimaginably sad. Parents are usually able to hold their stillborn baby for as long as they want. They should never be rushed to release the baby to the morgue. Whether it takes an hour or several days, most hospitals recognize that this is the only time these parents and this baby will have together, and nobody should shortchange them that time. Eventually, the baby will be weighed, measured, bathed, and dressed, and footprints will be taken. The parents will be offered a lock of hair, the baby's first t-shirt and blanket, and other mementos. They'll be given information about funeral arrangements and autopsies and support groups and counselors. Family members will come and go, absorbing their own grief and attending to the family. They'll offer food, condolences, and advice. They'll offer to help, to cook, and to care for other children. It won't help the parents much, but it's what we do in times of loss and grief. The parents will be so sad, though, that they may not be able to accept what is offered. Eventually, the mother will be discharged from the hospital and the baby will go to the morgue until the mortuary collects its body. I've heard people say all kinds of things to parents during the early gruesome hours and days after their baby's death. It was God's plan. He's in a better place. She's with the angels now. At least you don't have to raise a deformed baby. Can you think of anything you did that caused this? At least you know you can get pregnant. You can have another baby right away. People say these things because they don't know any other way to behave. They're thoughtless and heartless, but in a warped way, they usually come from a place of compassion. While almost anything said to the grieving family can be taken the wrong way, maybe the best thing to say is this, I'm, I love you, I'm so sad, I'll be here with you in any way you need me. Then, be there. Be there for a long, long time, because this is a loss that will hurt for months, years, forever. Keep showing up. Keep being there. One time, long time ago, I was taking care of a mother who had just delivered her stillborn daughter. Her baby had been perfectly fine until 39 weeks when suddenly she stopped moving. An ultrasound confirmed the worst possible news. The baby was dead. The mother was induced and delivered her baby vaginally. She held her in her arms for hours, staring at her thick red hair, stroking her eyebrows, and caressing her tiny perfect hands. The father was unable to deal with his grief, shock, and pure rage. He left the room about an hour after the birth. This is not unusual. A father's primal job is to protect his family and fix problems, and for some men facing this kind of tragedy, their inability to do this job is just too much to deal with. Many men need time to gather themselves before they can be there for anyone else. This is normal. 
The mother had been silent and tearless since her daughter's birth. Her parents were with her, but except for offering a few words of kindness, nobody seemed able to do much more than sit still. I'd ordered some food to be delivered to this mother's room, and when it arrived, delivered by the cook who had prepared it, a middle-aged man who'd been in the hospital kitchen for 20 years. The tray was decorated with tiny white roses. News travels fast in hospitals, and he'd heard there'd been a stillbirth. He went to the gift shop, purchased the roses with his own money, and insisted on carrying the tray himself. Placing it on her bedside table, the cook said this, Ma'am, there's nothing I can do that will relieve your pain. Nothing I can do to make this easier for you to bear. These flowers will do nothing to make this better. But I brought them because I want you to know that people you will never know care deeply about you. I care. And in some little way, I hope that will ease your burden. That was the moment this mother finally started to cry. She hadn't been able to before this, but it was this man's pure kindness that broke the dam. She reached for his hand. He asked for permission to sit with her, and when she gave it, he simply sat in a chair beside her while she cried, holding her hand the whole time. He never said anything else to her. He just let her grieve and did what he could to absorb it. It was the single most graceful thing I've ever witnessed. A stranger, a devastated mother, a tray of food, some flowers, a few honest words, and a hand held as long as she wanted. So, to Hennessy, the young mama up in Seattle who's living with this tragedy, there is a tribe of mothers out here who are holding you in our hearts and hoping that your healing from childbirth is complete, that your grief is bearable and sweet, and that in time this burden will ease. You are a mother, and to you and all the other mothers out there who've been through this tragedy, you know better than any of us that the value of a life isn't measured in days or years, but by the impact it makes on others. Your baby's lives have made a huge impact on the person that matters most of all, you. The ripple effect from that impact will grow to impact many others. And that is a life well lived, no matter how short it is. Be well, honey. Oh, so now I'm going to shift gears in a big way and introduce you to this week's guest. Maybe it seems like a big, big shift, um, but my guest this week is one of the funniest women in entertainment. And like many of us, she brings her motherhood into her work, her message, and everywhere she goes. I want to talk to her today because I think she has some really important things to say about parenting as a performer, as a working mother, while going through a divorce, living with the hypersensitivity that so many of us creative folks live with, and mostly, she's just a super insightful and hilarious woman, and I want to get her on the phone. Hello. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi. I am well. Thank you for asking after me. I'm good. You're on vacation, aren't you? Yeah, I guess so. I, I'm. Why is it so hard to accept even being on a vacation? It feels like um, I miss my family. Uh-huh. So I'm visiting my family. So it's not really vacation because they're a, there telling me to do things. You know what I mean? They're an, bossing me around. So. An obligation. Exactly. 
Uh, no. Right, sat down. That's, it is an obligation, <laughs> yeah. but it's so good for my kid. I'm not just saying that because of the podcast theme, yeah. but it's been awesome because he's got his cousins to play with, and we're in Indiana, and there's space. That's awesome. Is there open water? Are there beaches to sit on? There are no beaches, but that's where I live, and I'm sick to death of the, I mean, I, that there'd ever be a time in my life where I'm like, ugh, God, the ocean, ugh, um, it's so weird to me, but I do feel that way, and it's been so nice just to have big green lawns and just yeah. space, space, yeah. space, space, it's been really, really nice. I'm a California girl, too. I moved to Portland about 20... Oh, you are? Yeah, I moved to Portland from L.A. about 23, 24 years ago, and as soon as I get to LA, the first thing I want to do after I hit the airport is I want to go put my feet in the sand on a California beach. You can leave you it don't for worry a while. About, like, oh, I was like, well, you don't worry about like the stepping on a condom or anything like that. Um, I don't worry about it. I kind of think it's <laughs> inevitable. <laughs> I just because that's like Santa Monica where I am. It's like there. It's, it's so like gross. apparently it's like the, the grossest water and people are like don't open your mouth up when you're in the water because you have to you know because you'll get um you'll be nauseous for the day and then there's all this, it's like anyway there's all sorts of hazards about going in yeah. even though god how, how i don't want to destroy the beauty of the ocean for god's sake it it's is lovely beautiful, but all of us that have lived there all our lives know that yeah you go to certain beaches you're not going to feel good for a day or so yeah. afterwards go to other beaches <laughs> Yes, that's true. Just go to the, where the wealthy people go in. (laughs) Well, Lauren, we started off talking right away, um, but I should introduce you better. Um, I'm going to read the little bio that you sent me, and then I'm going to ask you a really hard question, okay? Okay, I'll sit here and prepare. Okay. Lauren Weedman is a writer, performer for theater and TV, author of Misfortune, and one of the stars of HBO's Looking. So now you have to answer the really hard question. Who are you and what do you do? Who am I and what do I do? Yeah. That is really hard. I know. Um, you weren't lying. I know. Well, I'm a, um, it's so funny because I'm immediately thinking of how my friend, one of my um, best mother friends, she was talking about how she identifies as a mother first and then as a writer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and I, when she was saying that, I was like, oh God, I, I hope that I, like, I got to start saying that. That sounds a lot better. Um, than what I usually say where I'm, I'm, does, like, I'm an artist but, performer. But isn't it also I, professionally I, risky? You know, there's, um, there's that too. Yeah, I guess so. this is such a uh, not unanswerable question or I find it so overwhelming trying to figure out um, this, this the balance, right? I guess everybody talks about that, like how much, uh, but yes, I'm very much an a, a actor, performer, you know, writer type. And even when I was pregnant, my friends were like, or before I got pregnant and I was talking about doing that, folks were like, really, Lauren? Is that, is that something that people like you do? I'm like, what am I, a heroin addict or something? <laughs> like, I think that like we do or just the fact that I tour a lot or I travel and like, oh, it'll be so hard. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm show folk. I'll just like strap them on my back and, you know, away we'll go yeah. at age 15, I right. guess, a little bit harder. A little harder. But yeah, 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 perhaps. Well, it was the second part. It was like, who are you? And what do you do? Yeah. Right? Do you? Yeah. Did I kind of, do I kind of answer it? You I, did pretty I, good. Yeah. I think yeah, that I'm you, artsy. you kind of summed up just how confounding it can be to try to figure out, you know, what is our actual identity once we have kids and we have these big careers and all of that. And then 
how best to present ourselves when we are professional women, because, you know, the, 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 the nomer or the, the name or term mother or mom is still used in diminutive terms like sucker mom or mom jeans, you know, those kinds of things. We don't often, we don't right. mean that in a good I, way. No, and I don't really, no, you're right. And I also don't tend to talk about um, being a mom that mm-hmm. much. Like right. to me, it's so funny because I'm in my work, I, I do a lot of like autobiographical stuff, but I'm pretty, I put a lot of stuff out there in the, in the when I'm working mm-hmm. I, or use my life for my work. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to my son, Leo, and it comes to how I feel about being a mom, that kind of stuff. That stuff is almost like, so that's like private. Like it's my, and I don't really just like, I was on a date the other night and this, you know, this guy's talking about his kid the whole night. I remember thinking like, it's our first date. I'm not talking about my kid. Like I'll talk about my career and I'll brag about this and brag about name drop, but I'm not going to get into what Leo, I'm not going to describe my son to him because that seems way more personal. Like the other stuff is, you know, just what I do, but yeah, I mean, not that, well, yeah. That's kind of a telling date tactic for him to talk about his kid, you know, so soon. I don't know. So, what do you mean? I don't know. I mean, that's you just... It's sex addicts. That's what I saw. Someone's talking about his kid right away. He's trying to prove what a good person he is to hide his evil side. He's a sex addict. I better get out of here. Um, and Yeah. Not, that, I actually... not. I'm not kidding. I really did feel like when I'm out with people who discuss their kid, they're like, oh, I just love being a dad. When they put a big show on, what a great dad they are. I'm like, thanks for the heads up. I'm out. <laughs> that's exactly what I was talking most about. Most people, right. You're, that's, but you, I didn't have that insight. That's so funny you would know that. From I had to be, it had to be in front of me for me to go, why are you put like, my ex-husband used to always put a big show on of like him doing something for Leo. He'd always, he's always like, I'm going to go wash his apple. Like if there's like a little audience for him, he'd really be like, anyway, whew, sorry, what I just got back from dad. washing his apple. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's like, oh, you're so lucky. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. But I don't see the other dads, you know, bragging about washing fruit. Um, <laughs> I think they're just being dads. Yeah. I mean, not that he's a bad dad, but okay. Anyway. Oh, I get it. I get it. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you and I haven't met, but um, I saw you perform here in Portland a couple of times when um, you did the People's Republic of Portland, which was right. I, it was about an hour and a half of wet your pants funny about the weirdness that's Portland. Um, one mm. question I have about that is, can you do People's Republic in any city? Is everybody weird everywhere, or does Portland have the market on that? No, I think it's, I, initially I was hoping, I always hope a show is um, going to be a, a piece of theater that I could do in other cities, mm-hmm. and I think I could do that show just as it is, because people love, Portland loves hearing about Portland, other people love hearing about Portland, um, but I, so I did do, I, I did a little, um, quick mini version of that show where I would go to a city and gather a bunch of material, um, within a week and mm-hmm. then sort of improv a show at the end of uh, one week. It was a form of the Portland show, but not as rehearsed and, and as supported as Portland center stage game, um, uh, was, but, uh, every city, of course, though I have to say in Boise, it was, it was super hard because people were so damn nice. Oh. And they were just, and I remember asking somebody like, I was like, where's the edge? Where's the edge? She's like, oh gosh, we have edges. I mean, <laughs> it's really hard to be in such a small city because sometimes you'll, I'll be at the grocery store and I'll just be grumpy and I'll see somebody I know. And I think, oh no. I'm like, okay, that's your story. <laughs> that's your edge. That's your edge. Is that like, yeah. So there's, oh but then my. of course I found it. You're like in Boise things, uh, there's always something to, you know, if you stay up late enough, you can always find the edge. That's where um, the edge lives. So no, I think uh, 
Yep, late at night. And the weirdness, of course, every city has its own little. I mean, it, they're not as they don't celebrate it as much as Portland does. Yeah. Um, but it, oh yeah, it's always there. And I'm always it's mostly, I'm always so freak, you know, so easily affected by things or uh-huh. you know reacting. So you know, put me anywhere, and I'm I'm uncomfortable, freaked out, and traumatized, and hopefully an entertaining way. Oh, did Portland traumatize you? <laughs> Every everything right, not trauma. You know, what I mean, everything's always. Yeah, I saw weird. It's weird, weird here. Did I see? Of course, you see weird stuff there. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, but uh, but not as weird as. It's so funny. It's like when I first was there getting material, I was so kind of depressed in the rain and everything, and then oh, I realized I it was all because of what was going on with myself. Though it's it's well, this is such an obvious thing, but it's like. You know how the, the rain doesn't affect me when I'm happy, or, or things are going well in my life. I'm not. I like. I love the rain. I love this. It makes me read more. And then yeah. if I have a mild depression, of course, then you're like, this rain's going to be the, the end of me. Yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, here love, we I are. Portland. We're in in you know July what 11th here, and generally by this time of year, we are guaranteed hot streaming sunshine. And this is the whole reason why we live in Portland is for the summer months. And right. Right. It's raining. It's raining. <gasps> Talk about getting edgy. Okay, that's not what you paid for. No, I didn't Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you for letting me know that because I'm getting ready to be there. And I want to know because if you get there right after it's been raining for a while, first of all, people won't shut up about it. Because oh, I know. Like, I know. It's day 94. Day 94. This is the rain. Everyone's like, this is the rainiest April. This is the rainiest June. <laughs> And it, it so affects everyone that it's good to know what you're about to walk into. You I know. know. Like, like you want to know. If, yeah. So as soon as the know. sun comes out, we're all just hyper and, you know, we're completely out of our minds with joy. Well, I want to talk I a, know, a like little that. bit more about um, People's Republic and then I want to talk about other things. But the first time I saw the mm-hmm. show, um, you talked about being a working mother and about um, your little career killer. And when you used that mm-hmm. term. Yes. You could hear the audience gasp, like, oh, my God. But then immediately they, they laughed when they recognized just how true that is. So tell me a little bit about that joke. Well, I, um, uh, let's see, I'm like, about the joke. It's so funny, too, because in, in, in Portland, when you say something uh, un-PC, let's mm-hmm. say, or without explaining it fully, it's so, they're so um, reactive. I got a lot of good sort of um, people are easily offended, which is really good for comedy because mm-hmm. it kind of makes it more fun, um, more lively. But uh, not everybody, too, obviously. Um, that career killer thing was like I would joke about that because of how hard it was the very first – it all started because the very first time that I decided that I wanted to go uh, without Leo uh, mm-hmm. to work. And usually he just would come with me, but mm-hmm. then he started preschool and, you know, I, I thought I knew that was going to happen, but I didn't realize that leaving him even for a week would feel like I had just like abandoned him in the middle of the forest or something. Yeah. Like it yeah. just felt like I'd plopped him down by himself, you know, and then like, goodbye, here's yeah. um, some matches. Don't, don't play with them. But just in case there's, I mean, I felt so, oh, it felt so uh, physically and every, it just felt so wrong. Yeah. And, um, it was painful. It was painful to, uh, I was on the pl- I was sobbing saying goodbye to him. And it was just, I'm like, if this is going to be, that's when it started. Cause I was like, Oh, I have to travel for my job. Mm-hmm. This is a part of what I do. And I, this is, this is what it's going to be like. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to do this anymore. And that was a stunning thought. I was like, what in the hell will I do yeah. if I don't have, if what I'm not it, traveling? What if um, it feels like yeah. this every single time? 
Every single time. Yeah, and it kind yeah. of does. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say it is, it, it always has a little, I'm getting ready to leave him again for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my max is two weeks, but I've done that. Uh, several times, like if I go to, if I'm working on a TV thing or whatever, it's just, I, I, I'm not like, I don't do, I don't make enough money to have like a kid who comes with me and has like a, you know, goes, what's it called? Not a kid who comes with me. It meant that at school, like when they, they, like they home teach school them on the set. And- yeah. Have, yeah, exactly. Or have a nanny have any, with you yeah. all the time. Even, I can't do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm in this weird, so I, so he stays back with his dad, but it's, oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's exactly the same uh, he, pain that, you know, when moms, do you remember first day back to work pain after having a baby? Do you know? What no, that? because my work is so different than that. Yeah. It's the, yes, exactly the That's same feeling, Listen though. To me, I'm like, I can't, I can't relate to those people. Well, it's what the do you same mean thing. Back to work. I didn't mean it. That, I didn't mean it like that. I do remember because I was working on Hung, the TV yeah. show, yeah. and I was like lactating all over my costume, and I, yeah. and it was just, I was so. It's not like I wasn't supposed to be out in the world yet. You're yeah. still too. Um, but what is it? Sorry, what were you going to say? I'm getting all chatty. Oh no, I was just. <clears throat> excuse me. That's it's the same, the same level of anxiety and that physical ache you know that that you were describing yes. for when you had to travel it's the same thing it's going back to work pain it's brutal yes yeah it is brutal and there's something about like it's such a weird uh balance and of, of course I, i've always been like you know mothers should be able to you know of course it could be female ceos and obviously we should be doing whatever we want to do mm-hmm. and then i had a moment of of thinking like well um i don't what am I trying to say? Let me reword that. That I remember hearing on some radio talk thing. Maybe I don't know what it was. Maybe I was listening to some self help thing. God knows what. But um, this this uh, woman was saying saying how uh, women, a lot of women, don't even want to be uh, don't want to be a, a president or a CEO because it takes them away from their kids so much, and that they don't want that kind of uh, responsibility. And what what an awful thing to say. Like what an anti feminist thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, this, when I, when I still go into business class of the, um, when I ever get to, or not, or whether I sit there or not, if I walk by there, it still seems dominated by men, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, first class. And I'm like, Oh, and I, they used to bother me. And now I think, Oh no, it's just cause it doesn't matter to us. This is going to get me into trouble. I know. Cause I'm saying so ignorantly, like, but I'm like, of course I wouldn't, I don't want to be. Uh, the uh, a celebrity in that way. I don't want to have this kind of power. I don't want to be the CEO because I do want to have more time with my kid, and mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see how I could do both. Do you know what I mean? Like, I how could I be a big? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is weird, but you're not allowed to say it. Almost like if you say it, it sounds like you're. But we have to say it. We have to talk about what's real. You know, we we sugarcoat this image of motherhood and working motherhood. We and we polarize it. You know, like the good moms stay home, the bad moms go to work. Or the woman who has it all, you know, she does everything. You know, we have all these weird ideas about what it is. And what it really is, is just a bunch of us trying to do the best we can with exactly our own, you know, personal needs for fulfillment and financial security. And, you know, we're all just working it out. Well- Right. It's like my, uh, what I've noticed from my friends who, um, like my friends who are stay at, uh, who have decided to fully be home mm-hmm. with their kids, be stay at home mm-hmm. moms and they will, 
I have one friend in particular, and she was saying, well, I just have to be, like, I can't, I, why would I have kids if I couldn't be here for the, and as she was saying it, I was about to say something like, oh, like, what do you think? I had a kid because I wanted to make sure I, you know, he'd know what loneliness is and, like, what it was to have to be ripped away from his mother every yeah. month. I, yeah, and I, that was before the goal. I said that, though, I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. Right, exactly. That's why I wanted him. I want to see him cry and know that I caused it. Ah, the power. Like, no, I don't want that, obviously. But what I realized before I was defensive, trying to defend myself, was like, oh, she, everybody is trying to figure out if they're doing the right thing. And everybody feels like they're a little bit like, oh, this is not exactly how I picture it. This is so much harder. So, right. so she's just trying to feel okay about her decision. So yeah. anytime someone goes, well, I think this is the way to be, like, you have to, it, when they get really black and white about it, I think, well, that's just, that's about them. Yeah. That's about them trying to feel good about what their choice was. Yeah. I think she, it's a gray area for everybody. She's like, thinking, you know, I think she, her insecurity is, you know, what if my children grow up looking at me as just their mom? They never see anything else about me. You know, what if, what uh, yeah. if I don't model, you know, good career practices for my daughter? You know, they're, they're thinking the flip side of that coin. We're all messed up. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's the same kind of like, this. Um, I've I re remember when I was trying to describe to on, for another date. This is making me look bad. I'm like, so there I was on date number seven, um, and that was just in one day. Um, <laughs> that you no, know, I was on a date with this guy who didn't have kids. I dated him for a while actually, and um, mm -hmm. he uh, <clears throat> would comment about um, parenting stuff, or he'd be like, oh wow, like back in the day, I wouldn't, you know. My kid, my mother would never let us talk to her that way, or I would never let a kid do. And he doesn't have a kid. And I was like, why is it that people without kids are always telling me what they would do? And then I realized that my friends, my mom friends, we don't say to each other to our faces mm -hmm. about our judgment of our parenting because we don't. Because if I said it to somebody else, it, I know she'd turn around and tell me what she thought of mine. Yeah. And I know I'm so flawed that I don't want to hear my flaws. Like so, we just have this agreement. At least of my friends, like no one's going to be like, don't let them. Do We're all like. Hey, we're all doing the best we can. Yeah. And yes, you know, some of us are, we all mess up in ways that are so embarrassing yeah. and frustrating for ourselves, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you guys are cutting, humanity. cutting each other some slack and that's, that's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That's why we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I certainly don't relish ever hearing that I'm not the perfect parent, though. I don't think I've had a day yet where I have been one. Not yet. I'm Maybe not tomorrow. even sure what that means. I don't either. I don't either. Well, I think it's, if I have one day, you know, for me, the, the good days are the ones where I feel um, that, where I'm just, oh, I've slept well and I feel calm mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I'm doing 90 things at one time. Mm -hmm. and, I, and those days are maybe once every six months or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of it, I'm a single mom too. So it's like, it's really hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but it's really it's, uh, I, I'm, the, the challenges of it all became so huge at one point where I realized like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm alone in this, that, that, that I'm like, I could either start to really freak out and become just a total mess or get super Zen about it because it, I've got to calm down about this. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, things like whether he finishes his meal or something like that, you yeah. know, yeah. that make me nuts. Yeah. Why won't he finish his meal? Makes me crazy. Cause he's stand. a kid. How old is he? Oh, he's a dude. No, I was kidding. He's a um, dude. He's six. <laughs> oh. I was, was going to say he was a douchebag, but sorry. Um, yeah, he's six years old. <laughs> we'll just edit that to dude. He's a yeah. dude. So. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's fine. 
we kind of skipped forward to where you are in your life because the first time that I saw your show in Portland, you were talking about him and you were talking about your husband. The next time I saw your show, you um, it was pretty late in the show, I think, where um, everybody was just having such a good time. And then you shifted gears pretty dramatically when you talked about yes. getting how you got divorced. And... Um, <laughs> You know, it was like everybody, again, in the audience was like, oh, God, what? It, but then they, it was a, a, I don't know what the right word for it is, but it was a painful moment that people right. all of a sudden really empathized with. You could almost look around mm -hmm. the theater and see, oh, yeah, they've been through a divorce. They were through a divorce. They got it. And, um, right. yeah, talk about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, the shows. Um, well, the first time I did the show... Um, they had asked me to, you know, just gather material about Portland and just tell wacky stories about Portland. And I would, what I was, what I'm always hoping for theater is to find a story more. And it was funny because I was there gathering material and I usually there's some kind of bigger story going on with me in my life that I can write about. Mm -hmm. But even if I'm in Portland, perhaps I'm, um, I don't know, like God forbid, but dealing with a health scare or um, something's going on with my mother or my relationship to my husband. Like there's something going on that I can also write about that gives me like my own story. Mm -hmm. so it's not just like little anecdotes. And um, so I, but I could not find the story the first time. I couldn't figure out what it was. I'm like, I just have a bunch of weird things that are going on. And then the lighting uh, designer said, suggested like, well, you know, you're a mother. Maybe it's about you being a mother. And I was like, Oh God, I don't want to do a show about being a mother. Like, <laughs> I don't know why that was so, and I'm like, but she's like, but you are. And I'm like, I am like, I gotta go. No, but I was like, I, yeah, I am. I just never think about writing about it. And I'm like, okay, it's true. I've been kind of resisting for some reason, um, uh, writing about it. And uh, cause I didn't know exactly how interesting it was or what is it. So then I made the show about me looking for a place to raise uh, Leo, mm -hmm. but I still wasn't happy with the show. It felt weird to me. It didn't, it felt super entertaining and comedic and audiences enjoyed it. Um, uh, it did very well uh, for the theater and such. It was all very, it seemed successful, mm -hmm. but it felt off to me. And there was a lot of stuff that was going on with my husband at the time that I blamed myself for. Mm -hmm. So meaning like, you know, I, so I didn't put that kind of stuff in the show because I was, well, I did actually, because I would talk about me being so, um, oh, just being so needy at parties or being so weirded out at the strip club I went to with him. <laughs> and then when they came back to me and they wanted me to do uh, the show again to remount it, um, I had since I had separated and we were, you know, divorced and such. And I'm like, I can't do the same show I did before because that show is about, that show ended with me on stage going, you know, I want, talking about how I wanted to find a home for Jeff and Leo, for the three of us to be together. And it was the whole show was about us, about me trying to find a place to make my family happy. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't know, I didn't know the first uh, time I did the show was that me trying to make Jeff happy. The reason he was so unhappy was because he'd been um, a part of an affair that was mm -hmm. been, well, he was in an affair, having an affair mm -hmm. and there was no making him happy because he was trying to get out of the marriage. And I didn't know that. And so I'm like, I can't stand this, the idea of standing on stage because they actually said to me, the theater was like, who cares? It's a play. It doesn't have to be true. Like exactly what's going on. I'm like, I can't take it. I'm like, I can't take, I don't want to say his name on stage. Like, I don't want to be like, and so at that point I didn't want to. And so they let me rewrite the show a bit and they were nervous because I, I you know, didn't have much, I didn't have much rehearsal time, but mm -hmm. I was, that's why it's kind of abrupt. I think in the show too, because all of a sudden I'm like, screech. Oh, um, it was effective. It was really effective. Uh, it was great. 
Good, good, because I, I, I liked it, too. And for me, it made the show better because it was something was lacking. And it was the truth because mm-hmm. the first round of the show or the first draft, I didn't know the truth of what my story was. Yeah. And then the second time I came back, I knew the truth. And so it became, um, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a better experience for me Yeah. For during the show. For me and, you know, the audiences, I thought it was just a better show. For some of it. Yeah. Anyway, that well, was that story. Yeah. But that kind of leads into... Um, you know, we've never had anybody on the podcast talk specifically about parenting and divorce or through a divorce or what that, how that shapes um, your parenthood or your motherhood. I mean, we've talked a bit about solo parenting. You haven't talked parenting. to anybody? Who, oh, I was we, like, there's nobody from Los Angeles you've talked to? <laughs> not specifically about divorce. I mean, we've talked about solo parenting right. and single parenting and many of the people that I've spoken to are divorced, but... We haven't really had anybody talk about it. And I, I don't know, you know, this is a pretty casual conversation. I'm not certain why people don't talk about that. Maybe I'm catching them at a time where they're a little more distant from it. Or maybe it's just too something they guard. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know that when I um, read uh, the, well, okay, here's my theory, is that you don't want to anger the other person like mm-hmm. any now you're in it's almost like this legal move of just like just a political move mm-hmm. of trying to be careful about what you say because it's like when i read i actually talked about this i think in the portland show but um when i read the book eat pray love for the mm-hmm. first well i only read it one time um but i the very beginning she talks about um how she's like you know we got divorced and she was i'm not going to go into the details of what happened mm-hmm. i'm just going to say we're two adults that went our separate ways I thought that was so irritating. I'm like, that's not even, who cares? I mean, we want details. Like, yeah. like, why would she skip that? And I thought, I thought she was being overly precious in order to do sort of a, to make herself not have to expose any messy truths. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, she's being very like preparing her film deal with Julia Roberts, you mm-hmm. know, for her book to get option for, you know, I just thought it was, and then I had a child. And then after I had a kid and I realized if I were to, to put out the graphic details, which I do in a way, but I try to control it. Then, but before I really, if I were to really be just like talking to people freely on stage or talking about the divorce and its details, I could um, upset my ex-husband and that would affect um, the most important thing to me is that Leo obviously is okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't want uh, you know, Jeff, it's not like Jeff would steal Leo or something like that, but I would hate for him to get angry at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he already is, you know, so he's already mad because I had this awful thing happen where I, I wrote a book and I talk about what happened in the book, but I don't, it's not a memoir. That's is, a is that story. Misfortune? I wrote like short stories. Yeah. Okay. And so it's, and it's not even that, I don't go into that many details. I mean, it's a, I included a little bit. And then I um, did an interview with the New York Post. And I, off the record, told um, would talk about the divorce and got very uh, detailed about it because the girl was asking me questions. And I was just chatting away with her, mm. and they printed it. They, mm. they printed it full on, mm. like, um, told all the details, and it was like the headlines, like, you know, 47-year-old actress is – because my husband had an affair with our babysitter. So that's it's a very, like, scandalous, awful thing. Yeah, yeah. And But I didn't want it to – I wanted to make sure I always took the higher road or that I was, you know, it's so good to be the, the morally superior one, you know, <laughs> I always like that position. <laughs> it's much more comfortable. I find I yes. And so I'd like to be the hero of my stories. 
Um, but when that article came out, I've been so careful not to, you know, talk too much about divorce. And then it came out and then it got picked up by like other tabloidy things. Mm-hmm. And now, and things have been great. And, and then now, you know, Jeff's upset with me and thinks that I, for, I think for a minute, he thought that I had like sold the story or something, which mm-hmm. I had not. Um, and, and now he's, his girlfriend, who's the, the ex babysitter, she's upset. And so, so this, it was, and then my friends and, and, you know, my colleagues and such are like, what can they be upset about? It's the truth. Like, it's just the truth. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't care about that. What I care about, and when they get sort of mad about like, well, who cares about him? I'm like, I do care. Jeff's mental well-being mm-hmm. and how he feels about himself affects my son. So Je- the father of my son needs to be happy. And it puts you in a tricky situation because, you you know, I'd like to just completely trash talk the guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would it'd be so much more fun. Um, and so much more cathartic for me if I could just be like that piece of shit. You know, but I'm like, no, he's he he matters in my my world because yeah. of my son and will forever. So will forever. So I think in talking about the divorce, this is my this is just my theory is that people are like, you just want to politically not be, you know, because I I don't have a lot of access to Leo when he's when he's with Jeff. I can't control what mm-hmm. I'd like to control. So you certainly don't want to make anything worse or make, um, I don't know. I'm sure it's different for everybody, but, and there's sometimes there's money involved with people. It's not with me so much, but anyway, that's my theory. I'm a doctor, so it's probably true. (laughs) So many prickly edges around that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and just being very, yeah, being very careful. So I'm not sure exactly what the question here is, but I'm interested in how you mother through divorce. How do you, how do you, this is what I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you the stages of what I understand at this point. Like when at very first, when things were, um, so Leo was about three when we, uh, first separated and I, um, which was a devastating time. Three and is for hard. And after, Three's a hard age at the yeah. best of times. Yeah. But he also, it's funny. He doesn't even remember when, uh, his dad lived with us. Uh-huh. Or that when we were a couple, he doesn't remember it. He doesn't remember that, that, you know, that his dad's girlfriend was once his babysitter. He has no memories of that. Wow. I mean, he says a little bit, he's like, yeah, I think so a little bit, but he doesn't really, um, he's gotten pretty used to it at this point. But, uh, it was in the very beginning for the first, I'd say year after, mm-hmm. um, I would be, every time I would get overwhelmed by, uh, feeling like, first of all, I just could not accept the reality of, the family being over like that to me was just like what like I I never was gonna let it go I'm like I'm like I was gonna do everything I could to make sure that we get through anything and I didn't just men don't have that or at least the men I was doing with like they don't have this sort of hormonal thing once they've had a kid that just changes everything yeah um and so in the beginning, since I was so devastated by just like, how did this, and every time there was a holiday, even like a July 4th weekend, if it was Leo and I just alone and just sitting on a blanket somewhere watching with all the families around me, I just was, it was super hard um, and sad, sad, sad a lot. But what I would do if I got overwhelmed is I would ask, um, I had a therapist and uh, where I would ask him basically like, just hand me the script of how I handle things. Just what is the best thing for Leo? Because I emotionally would want to do certain things, like I'm going to, oh, I don't know, like I'm going to say something to Jeff, or I want to tell them this, or I want to go over there. And I would be like, I know that's not the right thing, so just tell me, since I can't think straight, just just tell me, I would ask my therapist, tell me what I need to do 
that will it will be the best thing in the long run for Leo, and I'll do it. I don't care what it takes. Just even if I don't, even if it's the hardest thing ever, I'm going to do it. If it means talking to Jeff in a really polite, great way, then just I'm going to read it from a script. Like, hello, Jeff. It's good to see you. Thank you for picking him up. We'll see you tomorrow. As a like, yeah. My main my, my mantra was what's good for Leo, what's good for Leo, what's good for Leo. Yeah. And um, uh, so that was the first year uh, of getting through that and and. Uh, and it's just so hard to, 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 you never want your kid to be going through anything. And then to know that you, in a way you'd already caused them this first big blow, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought, I'm like, Oh, I thought I'd have to be explaining what terrorism was before I'd have to explain to him that we weren't going to be a family mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it's hard for me now that it can, I could start boohooing about it now because it was such a, like, it's just awful, but with all things, it gets better. And it, I was actually um, so happy to not be in the marriage. Like, I didn't realize I'd been so unhappy. So it was very exciting to come home all the time. So I was like, oh, my God, he's still not here. <laughs> I loved not having him around. Hmm. So eventually I found um, uh, I, I, my friends would help me with, like, cut yourself slack because I felt like I couldn't stay on everything. Like, he's not getting to bed on time. I'm not getting I, – I don't cook. I didn't really know how to cook. I mean, Jeff had been the, the, the homemaker. And so I was like, I don't know how to make him, I don't even know how to really, I can make him grilled cheese. But I don't know how to really cook. And, and then my friends were like, so what? So you're the mom who just gets some food from the, you know, to go thing at the grocery store. You get a little of this, you get some chicken, you're fine. Yeah. Like I, I had to realize that areas I'm good in, the areas I'm not. And you just start cutting yourself a lot of slack. And um, I mean, that's the main thing, I guess, is, uh, well, I don't know. It's like, what's, there's all sorts of different areas I, that, um, the, I don't know how to overall talk about like the divorce. I'd have them like specifically. Yeah, I don't um, either. I'm loving this. And, the, and you know, one thing I want to know is, does your therapist hand those scripts out to everybody? Can we all right. have scripts? <laughs> <laughs> Could we all have an well, instruction you know, manual? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it is, it is so like when you're overwhelmed with emotion about uh-huh. something uh-huh. and, and I just wanted to be told, like it, it I know it's, it's such a maturity thing that I'm only just now doing. Where instead of right going right into what I feel like doing, which would be like I'm just gonna whatever, uh, whatever. You, you instead of yelling or getting into, I've had to so much. Okay, this is another thing about it that I've I had a little breakthrough moment about where I wanted to call, uh, wanted to talk to Leo because I was about to get on a plane to Italy, and I wanted to speak with him before I got on the plane just to mm-hmm. say, um, you know, goodbye, whatever. And I don't tend to talk to Leo, which is a very uh, weird thing I think for other parents to hear that when Leo is over to dad's house, I don't talk to him that much. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knows that he can always call me or whatever. I'm always there, but we don't like check in every night. I don't say to him, it's like when he's there, he's with his dad and he's, you know, he's happy. We've, we've gotten used to that now. Like mm-hmm. he's used to me not. Um, and it all started at first because it was too, they thought it, Jeff was like, it's too upsetting when he talks to you. He's like, mm-hmm. he gets all upset. And then, and for me, I was like, okay, that's fair enough. But also I was also relieved. I didn't have to then see um, his girlfriend over mm-hmm. there. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I, you know, didn't know how much to push for it. Cause my friends were like, do you, I read to my son every night that I'm gone. I ever, and I'm like, I'm gone so much. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm working and I can't anyway. So I was going to go to Italy. This is just recently. And I wanted to talk to um, Leo and I asked Jeff and Jeff said, Oh, he's, I'm mean, just like, I'm at work. I, I can't, you know, he can't talk right now. I'm like, well, where's Leo? He goes, well, he's at home with, um, you know, my with the girlfriend. And so I said, and I had this, I've not talked to her since for years. I mean, since I found out mm-hmm. they don't. And so I was sick to my stomach. Like I, about thinking about calling her, 
and I'm texting friends and I'm like, I, you know, I want to say hi to Leo, but it's like, for some reason, the idea of, of, of you know, of this girl answering the phone and, I, and to hear her talking to Leo and to know that she's alone with Leo and to know that just the reality of it is always so overwhelming to me. And I started to get all victimy again and sad about it. Like, oh, the situation, how could this be? And then I had this flash of talking to Leo as an, as a teenager, as an adult. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, what if I had to say to him, like, well, you know, I would have called you before I went to, um, before I got on the plane this one time, but I was, I got too freaked out about talking to, you know, your dad's girlfriend. I'm like, that would be awful if he yeah. thought that I, like what I would think was like, if I would, I would want to know that I would say to Leo, like, I don't care. I don't care where you are. I'm going to call you and I'm going to, you know, I'm not scared of a 23 a year old girl. Yeah. I mean, she's naked. Maybe that frightens me, but, um, <laughs> but not, I'm not, I'm not scared of that. And of course I'm going to call you. So it's like he, when I think of him and it makes me immediately become a, a, a better version of myself, you know what I mean? A better, I, I become like a mom, yeah. <laughs> like a mother yeah. who cares about her kid, not about like, I'm so freaked out about the situation, blah, 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 you know, does that yeah. make any sense? It made a lot of sense. It did. So I want to talk about your book, Misfortune, fresh perspectives mm-hmm. on having it all from someone who is not okay. And Part of it is about um, how the birth of your son uh, impacted your relationship with your own mother and your birth mother. Is that right? Yes. Tell yes. me about it. Tell My birth mother, it. mostly. Um, just that I had, uh, so I'm adopted, I was, you know, and I've um, been reunited with my uh, birth mother and her family and my birth father and his family since I was about 20 and I've, and I've known them and visit them. And they're also, they live in the same, they all live in Indiana. And so does, so does my family, my adoptive family. So mm-hmm. I've just had this large extended family for a while, which is great. And I'm, and my birth mother and I are super close and have been since I first met her. I just felt like, you know, the, the whole, like, Oh, blood, the bonds, DNA, it's very mm-hmm. real. And, and I really love her and um, Doug her and stuff. And then she came out after I had Leo to help. Um, cause I had a C-section, like emergency C-section. And, mm-hmm. and I was, so once she got out there, like suddenly what I write about in the book is that, um, I, once I had a kid, it was just so like, wait a second. Like, so she had a baby and like, and, and the idea that, that she had given me up at like eight days old mm-hmm. and I, I am so pro adoption and I have never once in my life, people have always asked me when I'm talking about being adopted, they're like, are you, have you ever been mad about it? Like, have you ever been upset that she gave you up? And I'm like, no, like mm-hmm. what? I, and I wasn't lying. I could, for me, I'm like, it's just what it's what is. Mm-hmm. And I had a good, good family that raised me and, and how I know her now, like mm-hmm. who cares? But then once I had Leo and all of a sudden, like she, my birth mother's there, Diane and Leo in the same, our, our apartment. And I was suddenly like, wait a minute. Like, how uh, she she wasn't um, um, the idea of what a mother is hit mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. Um, about uh, the sort of yes I have yes Diane and I have um, a lot more laughs and we're more comfortable I'm like yes but I'm like and my mother who adopted me is kind of tough mm-hmm. and she's not what you'd say um, she's not real emotional but I'm like but man she got shit done right like I'm like mm-hmm. I had braces I was at this like she was on top of everything and um, and then I so the story is about basically me. me um, uh, having my first kind of, um, I don't know, get, being disillusioned or upset with her for the very first time, truly. Like I've been so, she's been such a hero to or just love her so much. And then at the end of the story, 
which is what happened was that my, my, uh, her name is Diane. Diane at one point says to me, um, you know, she goes, I giving, she goes, I want to tell you something. And I've never wanted to say this to you. Cause I thought that this would be the, I thought you not knowing I'm about to tell you would be better. And she goes, but you, maybe you need to hear this, that giving you up was the hardest thing that I ever had to do in my life. And the most painful thing I've ever experienced. And it was so painful, but I never wanted you to think, I didn't want you to have to worry about that. Or I didn't want you to uh, feel bad about it. I wanted you to just think that this is all, you know, and she goes, but now I'm realizing that you not knowing that may have not done you, that may not have been helpful because mm. maybe you needed to know that giving you up was hard. And um, that is, I, that was, that was like a life changing moment because I, I hadn't realized that I wanted to feel like that I, I didn't realize so much. I thought I was sort of like, oh, I guess not that important or not that valued. Mm. And it had, had had affect me on some mm-hmm. level that yeah. I hadn't. So that's what the story is about. Sort of, and now we're, we're good. We're close. She's it's, downstairs eating a baked good, so she's fine. It's sort of um, you know, that time in a woman's life when she's immediately had her baby is a time where someone needs to mother her. And there's some sort of oh yeah special magic around the fact that maybe that was the first time that your birth mother had had the opportunity to really mother you. And... That's, yeah, but she she didn't really. Yeah, she, that was it. <laughs> she didn't really. And, yeah. yeah, and that was like the, when I finally saw. I'm like, oh, okay, like that's who she. Is. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was all very, all very profound. And yeah. and and what's so great too about Diane, I have to say, is that there's many great things. But like, people would read that story and sometimes be like, wow, it's not very flattering for of her. God, you sound like you you really go after her. And I'm like, go after her. No, this was about a time and a place. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not about, I don't write about who she is as a person. And it was about my perception post post hormonal. Mm-hmm. And also I was having all sorts of like intense, like I was also panicked, not panicked, but I truly had a couple moments uh, in the middle of the night when I was like feeding Leo where, uh, where I'd have moments of like, Oh my God, I cannot believe I brought a baby into like the cycle of suffering. Like mm-hmm. suddenly I was like a Buddhist, which I'm mm-hmm. not like, I was just like, how could I have done this? How could I, have? I got so uh, worried about what I had uh, done. And um, it was kind of nice to have Diane there because I tell her about that. And she's just like, I don't know. I'm not that deep. I don't remember being like that. You know, she's like, Oh, let's go get a brownie. And at the time I was like, Oh, like she doesn't care about that. And then it was actually exactly what I needed. You know, yeah. it's not get any worse about it, but just to have a big good and forget the, you know, forget yeah. your troubles. Yeah. Yeah. I think that most mothers get pretty existential during the deep, dark hours. You know, there's hormones, there's pain, there's sleep deprivation. And then there's the sheer responsibility that now you're expected to raise this child and who the hell knows what's going to happen. You know, it's, if you're not worrying about that, then maybe, maybe we're worried about you. (laughs) Yeah. No. And I, I, I also was like, I felt selfish and I've heard people say that and I never had thought that because I was so waited to have a baby until I absolutely, I mean, I was 41 mm-hmm. and I was very clear about my choice, you know, and I had to kind of fight for it a bit with my husband that I was like, ah, it's, I know it's not the right time. I'll, just, I'll pay for everything. I'll do it. I was so wanting to have him and so clear about my reasons. Mm-hmm. Yet suddenly when I had him, when I'm, you know, looking at him, I'm like, oh my God, how selfish. Like how, that's what my thought at the mm-hmm. time, but I'm over that now. Now, yeah. now I'm used to my selfishness. You're used to it. That's that's a sign of maturity too, huh? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, not yeah. beat yourself up. So, the subheading is from someone who is not okay. Are you okay? I don't know. Am I? Is there anything behind me? 
Um, <laughs> this isn't creeping up on me. No, I don't. That uh, am I okay? No, I'm both. I don't know. No, yes. Yeah. It's like I heard Lucinda Williams, who's a singer songwriter that mm-hmm. I love, mm-hmm. and she's a um, she's pretty scrappy, real yeah. real chick. And they were asking her um, on the radio. They were like, "So you know, you're 63 or however old she is in her 60s." Like, you know, you, you're married, you've got, you know, you're pretty stable now and you're married to your manager, your career, this album's doing well. And like, do you finally feel comfortable in your own skin? And she was like, I've never felt comfortable in my life, man. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And when she said that, I was like, oh, oh God. I was like, amen, sister. Yeah. Like, I, that's just the, to me, that's humanity. It's like the, the state of, of affairs of being alive is always feeling a little, is trying to feel a little bit more okay you know, and find ways to like calm down a bit. But I, I always sort of run right into my not okayness just for material, of course. Yeah. And, um, and, and to see if I can get out of it and feel okay for five seconds and then go right back to feeling not okay. I see a so, lot no, of I don't people, know that. I see a lot of people in the world who seem like they're perfectly okay all the time. And it's a concept that baffles me. And I wonder how much of that is connected to, you know, sort of the extreme sensitivity that you have to have in order to make your living in a creative industry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, maybe because I, I don't that when I see people who are like super OK, I will say either there's like a certain amount of like mild brain damage uh-huh. that is a blessing. And I'm like, oh, what a blessing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the fetal alcohol syndrome works for the good. <laughs> um, where I'm like, there's somebody who's just a little bit out of it. I'm like, that's great for them. Um, and then, uh, or I'll think that people are, I get very, um, you know, creeped out or uncomfortable when people are, uh, just, you know, that their belief system is just to say positive things and stay positive. And I think, Oh God, this is going to seep out sideways. You know, it's like yeah. evangelical preachers, you know, yeah. they're like doing all the good stuff. And all of a sudden, Oh God, they've, you know, lusted nine people and they're doing crystal meth. Like, yeah. um, if you're not honest about who you are. Uh, so I don't, maybe, because of course my industry is full of insane, self-absorbed people, but, um, and sensitive, obviously. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And maybe people don't think about it too, or talk about it. Like I'm always like, you know, checking in with how I'm, you know, reacting to everything because uh-huh. I do make money from that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And I like it. I like, to me, that's the, being alive is looking at all the messiness of it all. You know, yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah. Well, um, your HBO show. You're a nurse. Yeah. I'm a nurse. I am a nurse. Yeah. Are I'm, you really? Yeah. I spent 20 years working as a labor and delivery nurse. Um, part oh, of it in Los Angeles. I, that, yeah. I went to school at LA County Hospital. That's where I learned. Oh. Yeah. A long yeah, time ago. Awesome. Back, in the, back in the 80s. And um, it's changed a lot. Now it's fancy. Used Is to be. It, oh, well. It's fancier. Where you went to school, you mean, or LA? L.A. County Hospital, you know, in uh, oh, right. okay. downtown L.A. You, back I in, don't know it. You don't? Downtown? Um, L.A. County mm. USC Medical Center. It's No, thank God I don't know it. I don't know hospitals that well. I know two. Right by, like the one in Santa Monica, I know somewhat I've heard of, and then also Cedar sinai where Leo was born. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not very savvy. Well, you didn't have to go to the county facility, apparently. But um, if you've ever, back in the day when General Hospital was the big, big thing on TV, back in the 80s, their opening show was of this big city hospital. And that was actually L.A. County Hospital. 
And at the time, I was friends with an actress on General Hospital, and we could make that joke that I'm a nurse in real life, and she plays one on TV. And it was, you know, mildly humorous at the time. Oh, my. That is, I know, listen, I know comedy. That's funny. Um, That is, General Hospital is the best. And I know exactly (laughs) the... um, the shot you're talking yeah. about. So, okay, you're right. It's iconic. You're yeah. like, it's like not knowing um, the Empire State Building or something. I mean, yeah. <laughs> for, for cultured folks like us. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. So tell me what it's like to play a nurse. I don't really, I don't play a nurse. It's just mean, I'm a nurse, gig. but you don't see me nursing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, it's not that interesting. It's like, it's, um, I make, if, if anything, I'm a reverent. I'm, I'm, I've, and the show is canceled too. So it's, <laughs> I'm like, it's dead, except there's a movie we did. Uh-huh. Um, but I liked, I mean, I, I, I just liked being, uh, the fact that I had a, I like my sister's a nurse and I'm a big fan of the nursing profession. So I was glad I got to be, um, a nurse who did worked with kids mm-hmm. and was like just super irreverent about it and just making, you know, a lot of wisecracks about, um, you know, like, oh, there's only, you know, only nobody's going to die today. So I got to get out earlier, that kind of thing. So it's very um, HBO humor of uh, nursing, kind of stuff. pediatric and, nursing. You know, it's, it's another one of those um, terms or professions or categories that women primarily get placed in where they're supposed to be, you know, always on the higher ground and always playing the most virtuous nurses. We're all, all supposed to be right. freaking saints all the time. And having worked with nurses my entire career, we are so not. We're regular women doing our thing. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. So every time I know. a nurse is portrayed as an actual, honest to God, real adult woman, I'm I'm happy about it. So another, they are, I'm like, I know. So what else do we need to talk about? What else do you want our listeners to know about you and your work and your thoughts on, on, I don't know about that. I'm at this point in my life where I don't, I was just saying to somebody, some poet guy I was talking to. um, And uh, I was saying to him that I don't, like when you say what I need to talk about when it comes to my work, that's exactly what I feel like I'm missing right now is that I don't really feel the need to talk about my work. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of bored with my, and I'm not sure what to do. The, the sort of ravenous ambition of always mm-hmm. trying to, you know, get the next job and keep things going and work, work, work has always what's driven me mm-hmm. and things have shifted because of my son and because of being, I didn't, I think I, I, well, I know I thought that I'd be able to continue to do what I do because I had, um, a partner who mm-hmm. was helping me mm-hmm. and now I don't there's I have nobody I mean I when I say that I always feel like I'm just feeling so like I'm waiting for someone to save me or something so I'm like mm-hmm. I have nobody to help me mm-hmm. but I don't out there mm-hmm. and so I can't look I don't know how like like the idea of getting another book deal is like I, everything means taking so much time away mm-hmm. and I'm like well how do I do this like because I, normally I, I'm doing I'm like a book and then I'm working on a theater show and then I'm also traveling to perform and then I'm hopefully doing some TV or film to sort of keep money coming in. And then, mm-hmm. but all these things are like, I say no to stuff all the time now that I used to say yes to because of, you know, I'm with my child. Yeah. And so I'm, I feel conflicted about what I'm, and I think aging is part of it too, because I'm 47. So it's like, I'm not, uh, you know, feeling like, you know, I want to create a career. I'm thinking I'm in it. Mm-hmm. And so what am I going to do? Like, am I going to stay in LA? Am I going to, so the, I'm, I'm just stuck in the, 
what what I'm trying to do right now is to to not sit around and wait for someone to save me from this mm-hmm. conundrum. Like realize that I, like I used to be like, oh, a job will show up and it'll shoot in maybe it'll shoot in um, Vancouver. And I'll have to go to Vancouver or or when I was uh, was dating. I felt like I was dating, going on a date was be like, oh God, maybe this person can help me be the person. Maybe if he lives in Eagle Rock, mm-hmm. I can. He'll help me get out of Santa Monica, and I can go. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like no one's going to save. No one's going to make this decision for me of what I need to do next. Mm-hmm. And no, uh, I don't have a partner to wait out with. I don't have anybody to sort of, you know, have a meeting with. It's got to be me. And I'm also affecting Leo's life. And so I don't have the answer to it. But what I'm trying to do is approach this without feeling weepy every time I start to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, what am I going to do? Uh, yeah. I'm all alone. Uh, like, I just want to make a decision and and go. And it's a balance, again, of how much uh, career stuff, how much, you know, uh, Leo and how much – I mean, Leo's always there, but how much am I there? So I, I'm in a, a big gray area of uh, – which was – always I think happening with the parenting thing like you're, wanting to change schools and how that you're in transition great you're trying to figure out what to do yes exactly yeah exactly so that's I don't really have um I mean work-wise yeah I mean just yeah read my book and yeah uh that by all means um uh be uh, follow me on nothing don't follow me on anything um <laughs> <laughs> Instagram or something I don't know I don't have any uh, the looking movie is coming out, but that's that'll be in July. I don't know when. When does this air? Don't say it on the air, right? Better not. Okay. It's in a few weeks, I think. In a couple of weeks. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, it'll be yeah. the HBO show will be out there. Oh, cool. That's not really a lot of people with kids. I think watched looking everybody, though. It's kind of a. You know. Everybody. Does. <laughs> everybody has kids or has a mother or you know. Let's we got to normalize yeah. this. Everybody has kids. Just not everybody is talking about it. But yeah, so that's true. kind of leads, leads me to my very last question that I ask everybody on the show. And that is this, where are you in your life as a mom? Where am I in my life as a mom? Mm-hmm. I think what I just said is kind of where I'm at. I think, yeah. cause it's like, I'm trying, well, well I'm, I always just like using, here's an example of a story to demonstrate it for about a week before we came to Indiana, uh, I was having, it was so hard um, to get Leo to go to sleep. And I, it was the first time that we had, you know, he just got out, got done with kindergarten. So it's our first year of him being in like school in mm-hmm. a way, right? A more structured time. And so the summer started and I wasn't ready for it. Like I didn't know I needed to be ready for it. Like I didn't know we needed to have summer rules and all these things. But suddenly I was like, it just seemed like he was um, just impossible to get mm-hmm. to go to bed and he didn't want to do this and eating was chaotic and what time is the bed, you know, and I was just like, and I'm, and then I'm doing more things with, you know, my, my we're going to people's houses more and things are more social, but then it's not good for it. So I was losing it um, the last week uh, uh, because, before he came here, not knowing what to do. And at night I would just be overwhelmed. And then I was asking people for help and I was asking Jeff for help and nobody was really, um, able to everyone's busy with their families mm-hmm. that's one thing i realized is that people all had you know summer plans and um and when i would try to get play dates people were like we're actually at our vacation home and i'm like oh so mm. at the end of a week suddenly i was like i and i thought that leo was being um kind of just being talking to me rudely you know what i mean i was just like things are feeling 
And it was like I didn't want to be a parent or something. Like mm-hmm. I kept waiting again for someone to help me. And suddenly I, I, got, I picked out one of my books off the, the, the shelf. Uh, it was like a parenting book that I'd used a while ago. Um, and I hadn't looked at it for a while. And then I read a chapter in it, and it was really simple. It was just like a whole thing of like, you know, of how to get some discipline and some boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I read it, and it was so calming to me to read that. And I was like, oh, that's right. I think I've been fighting. Like, I need to put everything aside, like no socializing, no this, no stop jumping into summer. And it's sort of like at first I need to figure out I have to be a parent. Like, I need to parent Leo right now. Mm-hmm. And I need a second to gather my sources. And I need a couple days of, of, of just Leo and I, and to, so those, that's when I, I, where I'm at now is realizing that I need to, um, I mean, maybe this sounds awful, like, duh, you need to parent, but I'll think I've got it figured out. Like we've got our own rhythm. I know how to do this. We've got things set. And then it gets crazy. Things like, things like everything's falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, it'd be exactly. great there's, if there's they stayed the same, the systems would always work, but all the variables exactly. change every single day. Right. And it always takes me a week to catch up though. Like it'll take me, I'll have like day after day of just like, Oh my God, he's awful. Like he's saying, and then I'll get, I'll think it's me. And then I'll think it's him. And then I'll think it's his dad. I'll think, you know, I'll start blaming everybody. And then suddenly it's so amazing too. When I read a book, how much they'll nail it. I'll Mm -hmm. like, all of a sudden I'll think it's something he's going through is uniquely him. Mm -hmm. And then there's like some book that's completely laid out. Like he will be scratching his second toe. He'll be asking for orange juice (laughs) and he'll never sleep on. I'm like, that's him. Yeah. That's him. So specific about it. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, (laughs) I have to remember um, that kind of stuff, you know, and not to immediately make something about, Oh, it's because I'm divorced or, Oh, it's because we don't have enough money or, Oh, you know what I mean? I'll start Mm -hmm. to get self-absorbed about it instead of just, getting down to, oh, he's six, going through this transition of this, I just need to get these rules down or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at. Got it. Thanks you're, for asking. You're good, Lauren. You're good. You are kind of articulating every mother's thoughts at all times, oh, I, even I the ones who, who look like, well, <laughs> you know, you're articulating mine and I've been parenting for a long, 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 long time. And we're all thinking all of those things all of the time, but most people are trying to keep a nice veneer on it so that they look like... Oh, yeah. The clean, the clean mama, you know, who's got it all together I know, and is I know. completely fulfilled in every moment with her child. <laughs> I know. Kids and marriages seem to be the big put on show for yeah. people. Like it comes to like, you know, hashtag blessed, like, oh, air, the hot air balloon ride with my you know, special man, you know, and, uh, and adorable. Everything's always so, you know, and I think. And I remember being so annoyed by all that. Like, why don't people talk? What's really going on? Yeah. And then um, but I realized it's because if they start talking about it, then they don't, if you pull one string, it all unravels. You know, they unravels. have to continue going like, it's all good. It's all yeah. good. That's their fear, at least, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Thank I you. Love it. Thanks for, I'm glad that you're doing it. Yeah, me too. I like I the opportunity. Too. Well, I, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye at this point. And um, I'm going to include your, you know, your uh, website information for people that want to follow up and learn more about you. And we'll talk cool. again. Cool? Yes, please. Okay. Yes. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. guest was actress, author, and stellar performer, Lauren Weedman. You can learn more about her at laurenweedman.com. She's performing in Portland at Portland Center Stage's Jaw Festival next weekend on July 30th, so if you're here in town, go catch her there. She's awesome. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. 
Common Sense Pregnancy is produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. Tweet me. Send me your questions at gene at genefaulkner.com. And as always, we appreciate your donations and support to keep this conversation going. Let's talk next week. There'll be days like this. There'll be days.